0: My perspective on Revelation is that it is intended to be understood. Now, there are lots of people whose perspective on Revelation is that it's not to be understood. In other words, that it's allegorical, that it's mystical, uh, that it's symbolic, and, and certainly there is allegory, and there is mystical stuff in there, and there is symbology in there. But the primary purpose of the book, I believe, is so that believers will be able to recognize what's going on, and when they do recognize what's going on, they'll be able to take appropriate action. Okay? So I'm regarding this as a practical book that's designed to let people know what's happening. And one of my references for that is when Yeshua is talking to his disciples in Matthew, and he tells them, you know the signs and the seasons, and when you see things happening and you look around in nature, you can say, oh, it's spring. We should be getting buds pretty soon. Or, oh, it's fall. It should be time to pick the apples. You can tell that in the natural. And what Yeshua is saying, it, the events of the end time should be much the same to those who are believers and are walking with God. Okay. So I, as I say, I'm seeing this as, as, a, as a very practical book. I'm also seeing it as sequential, which is to say the, the structure of the book is that there are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bulls of wrath. And intermixed in there, typically between the sixth and the seventh member of that group, you have a, a, an interlude, which I would describe as saying, you know, you have seal, 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 seal. Meanwhile and then you have this interlude, and then you have the next one, the seventh. Okay? So the interludes can be background, they can be history, um, any of those kinds of things, and they don't necessarily fall within the sequence of the three sevens. Okay, have I said all that so it makes sense to everybody? What my perspective is and, and how, how we're doing it? All right, so with that, As we go through, I've also got some ideas which I talked about last time and are not original with me. Uh, I got them from an online book, which I don't especially recommend, but he's got a really good uh, astronomical idea of what could be going on. Notice how I said that? What could be going on? Uh, And so I'll bring that in when we get there. All right, so I'm in uh, Revelation chapter 4. After this, after what? What's this that's after? Angels spoke to all the churches? Yeah, after the letters to the churches. Okay, so the, we've had the seven letters to the seven churches and, and uh, Yeshua told John to write these th- seven letters and so now we're done with the seven letters and we're moving on to the next subject in the book. So after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So who is this voice? Yeshua. Yeah, it's Yeshua. Because the very first voice back in in Revelation chapter 1, which is described as sounding like a trumpet, is in fact Yeshua. So this is a reference back to the same voice, so we have Yeshua talking. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit... And behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Okay. John is is trying to paint a picture. And he's trying to give you metal images. So think of this as painting a picture. And, and what I see the stones as are colors of light. You know, have you ever been to a laser light show or something like this, or a place where they got colored spotlights? and So I'm seeing that these are Colors, So you have around the, the throne itself sort of a, a, a an emerald-colored glow around the throne. Again, that doesn't mean that's what it is. That just means what, that's what I think. Okay. Around that were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders. All sorts of ideas of what the 24 could be, and, and we'll pick that up when we move forward a chapter or two here, because they'll talk about who they are. So I'm going to put a, a bookmark there as to who the 24 elders are. And and we'll talk about that when we get there because there's some theological implications to it depending on, on what your perspective is. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Well, that corresponds to Mount Sinai. Yeah. So he's describing, if you will, the thing that the children of Israel saw at the foot of Mount Sinai. And you also find that in the book of Acts where you have the tongues of fire descending upon the disciples as they're in the upper room. So the images are consistent. Seven spirits of God. All right, now in order to find that, you need to go to Isaiah. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, so those are the seven spirits of God. So the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, that's two, counsel and might, that's two more, and then knowledge and fear of the Lord is two more. Okay? And what that does is it forms a menorah. And in the center, you have the Spirit of God, right? That's the center uh, lamp in the menorah, if you will. Immediately outboard from that would be wisdom and understanding, one on each side, okay? Immediately outboard from that is counsel and might, and immediately outboard from that is knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So those things come in pairs, okay? So wisdom and understanding are a double, and they come as a pair. And, and, and again, if you have wisdom, typically understanding goes with it, right? What's the difference between wisdom and understanding? Got to be different. It's two different words, right? Yeah, sure. And things just don't work out the way you thought work out. Okay. Uh, so, one of the things that correlates with wisdom is age, experience, if you will. So, you may understand what's going on. But you may not have the wisdom necessarily to know what to do about it or to know how it perhaps fits in a bigger picture. So, understanding, I would suggest, tends to be more factual. Wisdom tends to be more holistic or big picture. And you integrate a bunch of stuff together. Counsel and might. How about counsel and might? Counsel strikes me the advice, whereas might is the Good. Counsel is advice, might is the follow-through. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to have the exercise of might without the exercise of counsel. And you also don't want to have the exercise of might without wisdom and understanding, which is why they're in closest. So wisdom and understanding would then inform counsel, and with wisdom and understanding and good counsel, you would then be in a position to properly exercise power or might. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay. Knowledge would, if you will, would be the database. Facts. So when you know something, you have information about it. You don't necessarily, it's sort of like science. They know a great deal, but they know the value of very little. So you have science going off and doing things that are dumb just because they can't. So you have them, for example, uh, doing cross-species DNA cloning. Which, in my perspective, is just really stupid. Because if you read in Scripture, one of the things that apparently may have happened that caused the flood was interspecies mixing. That's where the the benign Elohim, the sons of God, came down and bred with the daughters of, of men. And that is sort of the proximate thing that caused God to say, okay, everybody into the pool. And God, over and over and over again in Scripture warns against mixing things. You won't mix linen and wool. You won't plow with two different animals yoked together. All of those kinds of things are forbidden in scripture. So for science to waltz out there and say okay we can take the DNA from this species and mix it with the DNA from that species and get character traits of one species and another that we want so we're putting together essentially a new species. From my perspective is that's knowledge run amok. There is no fear of the Lord there. And then notice that knowledge and fear of the Lord are the farthest out from the center. And what does the scripture say about the fear of the Lord? It's the beginning of wisdom. So fear of the Lord is your way in on the menorah, if you will. So you're out at the outer edge of the menorah and you've got lots of uh, knowledge but if you don't have a spirit, the fear of the Lord, then you don't work your way in to the higher spiritual gifts toward the center. So the, spirit, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in this sense. Knowledge not combined with the fear of the Lord is dangerous. What you want is you, you want knowledge. That's it's a good thing. It's The you know, spirit of knowledge that's from God. It's a good thing. But it needs to be tempered with fear of the Lord, matched with that. And of course, then once you have fear of the Lord, you can then start working your way in toward the center of the menorah. Okay? So those are the seven spirits of God. And I'm in verse 6 now, Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. No idea what this is. Other than we find in in Ezekiel, which we'll go to in a minute, and we see it from below so it's, it's you know apparently this horizontal glass shelf if you will and I have no idea what it is but it's mirrored in both the tabernacle and the temple right 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 okay, you have the bronze labor and you have the bronze sea, as it is called in King James which is the thing that sits on the backs of 12 bulls, right? And you know, where, well, you've got this big bronze sea that's quite large in diameter, and it, and it rests on 12 bulls around and underneath, and it's called a sea. So the thing that's coming to me is perhaps a buffer. And it's a buffer between God and His creation. Because if you get too close to God, what happens? Yeah, you die. Okay, and that's the problem that the high priest has. That was the problem that Nadav and Avihu had. Is If you get close to God and you haven't taken the proper precautions, you die. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's mad at you. It just means that you're not designed to handle that much power. So let's look analogously. What is the purpose of the two seas in the earthly tabernacle and the earthly temple? Why are they there? What is done at those two C- at those two basins? They wash, they cleanse themselves. So, in, the, in a sense, then these two seas on the earthly one are buffers that people have to go through to get into the presence of God. So, as you're coming from the outside world, you need to wash yourself and once you do that, you're prepared to move on to the next stage, and depending on who you are and what you're bringing with you, you may go all the way into the Holy of Holies if you're the high priest. Otherwise, you stop at the at the uh, holy place. Okay, So you could look at this sea, if you will, as a buffer, in the same sense that a laver is a buffer that you've got to get yourself cleaned up before you proceed further. That's a guess on my part. And I'm in, still in verse 6. So, and before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, were full of eyes, all around and within, all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Okay. Uh, A couple of things about these. Go to Ezekiel 1, and you'll see another vision of these same guys. I'm in Ezekiel 1, verse 4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Now, does that sound very much like the description of the throne room that we just got in Revelation? Sure. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. Aha, so we've got the same four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human likeness but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings." Okay, we're missing two wings here. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle. Each, such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. All right, so what you've got here is two wings stretched out, two wings covering the body, and you have two arms, right? John's description of the same thing is six wings. We're going to see that the description that Ezekiel sees are four wings, not six, but two arms, which, you know, you you could see how that might be... You might be seeing the same thing, and depending on your angle and so forth, what looks like arms under one might look like wings, if if you understand what I'm saying. I don't know that John is seeing the same thing, but as we read on... You'll see that the the descriptions are very similar. Um, I'm in verse 12 in Ezekiel 1. And each went straight forward, wherever the Spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. And as for the appearance of the wheel and their construction, their appearance was like gleaming beryl. A beryl is a gemstone in the emerald family. Okay? And the four had the same likeness. Their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions, without turning as they went, and their rooms were tall and awesome, and the rooms of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And then in 22, over the heads of the living creatures, there was the lightness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread above their heads. There's your sea of glass. Except now he's looking up from below at the, at the sea of glass. Verse 23, I'm still in Ezekiel 1. And under the expanse of the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each wing, each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of mighty waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse over their hands. When they stood still, they let down their wings. Okay, so let's go to Isaiah 6. So I'm in, verse six, I'm in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. All right. Then one of the seraphim, down to verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he had taken the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. In, in John's description, The four living creatures surround the throne. And the same pertains to Ezekiel's description. In Isaiah's description, they are specifically described as above the throne. Furthermore, the thing that they say is different than the thing that the creatures around the throne say. So the creatures around the throne in Revelation say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I don't know if, absolutely I have no idea whatsoever, if this is one set of beings and one time they say this and another time they say that. I mean, certainly they, lots of things they could be saying and there isn't any reason that having said one, they couldn't say the other. Or it may be somebody else's job description to talk about Yehovah Sevaot, which is the Lord of Hosts, and as opposed to El Shaddai, which is the Lord God Almighty, have no idea. All I'm saying is, it appears that Ezekiel and John are seeing the same thing, or at least something very similar. Isaiah could be seeing something different. A couple of other things. We find, depending on your description, uh, in John's description, each creature has a different face. So so I'm in Revelation 4.7. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature, with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. If you read Ezekiel's, it appears to be each one of the creatures has four faces. So again, these may not be the same creatures. You know, these guys may be, you know, down in the engine room and they look differently down there than the ones that are up parallel to God and yet differently from the ones that are above. I don't know. Or it may simply be a difference in perspective because he says they're moving around and you know, flitting and, and it maybe he just didn't get a clear view. I, I couldn't tell you. It, it could be either one. But the point I want to make is. If you look at the camp of Israel, which I have up here on the screen, uh, the camp of Israel is divided in, it's got the Mishkan in the center, and around the Mishkan are the Levites. Then outside of the Mishkan are all the rest of the tribes of Israel, and each one of these four camps travels under the banner of the lead tribe. So the lead tribe of the The camp on the east is Judah, and Judah's banner is a lion. On the south, the lead tribe is Reuben, and his banner is a man. On the west, the lead tribe is Ephraim, and his banner is an ox. And on the north, the lead tribe is Dan, and his banner is an eagle. So what you have then in the wilderness camp is you have a replication, if you will, of the same four symbols around the throne of God. So you have the the same faces, if you will, show up in four places. Uh, And you can take take this lots further. The, The next place I'll take it and we'll stop there is each of the four Gospels emphasizes one aspect of Yeshua. Okay, So the the Gospel of Matthew emphasizes that he is king of the Jews. Judah, the lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah in the book of Matthew. In the book of um, Luke, Luke is a physician, he's a doctor, and he's interested in Yeshua's humanity. So the book of Luke is Yeshua as a man. The book of Mark represents the suffering servant. And of course an ox is sort of the quintessential servant animal. And then finally, or Dan, is the eagle. And that's the book of John, which emphasizes Yeshua's divinity. Okay, So each one of the four Gospels has a different focus, on the character and ministry of Yeshua while he's on earth and those correspond to the four living creatures so you see that this pattern of lion, man, ox and eagle starts at the throne room of God and just comes all the way down through Israel and it's used consistently Uh, Yeah, let's go back to Revelation 4 and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings were full of eyes all around and within now Ezekiel describes it as wheels within wheels. Again, this idea of eyes all around and within. If you look at you know, something like a, an armillary or a gyroscope cage, you know, where you've got different sets of wheels on gimbals, uh, the idea of having eyes both outside and within, again, you can form a metal picture of that. I have no idea whether that metal picture is any good, but I at least... Understand how perhaps it could be. Now the final thing is that the thing that they say is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of my, Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. All right. That is two triplets. You've got the triplet holy, holy, holy and you've got the triplet who was and who is and who is to come. My take on this is holy, holy, holy does not mean, wow, are you really holy? i got to say it three times to get get a handle on how holy you are. I see it as enumeration. You've got the Father, you've got the Son, and you've got the Spirit. You've got God the Father, you've got the Lamb of God, and you've got the Holy Spirit there, and it's holy, holy, holy. One, two, three. Uh, and then if you say who was and who is and who is to come, you again have the second triple. So the comment was that you think the was is God the Father, who is, the, the is is the God the Spirit, and to come is Yeshua. And and what I think, not that I what I think is any better than what you think, because I don't know any more than you do, what I think is it depends on when and where you are. Because... Each one of those phrases applies to each of the three members of the Godhead at some time during the writing of the Gospels. or I'm sorry, during the writing of the entire Bible, not just the Gospels. So it appears that during what we call the Old Testament of the Tanakh, God the Father is center stage. So he would be the one who is at that time. Now both God the Son show up in the Old Testament, and God the Spirit shows up in the Old Testament. But they, are, they don't have center stage. You know, They don't get the bulk of the ink, if you will. God the Father gets the bulk of the ink in the Tanakh. He who is would be God the Father. When the Gospels are being written, the one who is is Yeshua. He's center stage. But you still, God the Holy Spirit shows up, and God the Father shows up. You know it is baptism. All three of them show up there at the river. You have the voice of God coming down, and you have the Spirit descending like a dove, and you got God the Son standing there. So it's not that they're out of the action. It's just the the, the emphasis or the focus has shifted to God the Son. And then when you get into the Acts and forward, then the then the action shifts to God the Spirit. God the Son is with the Father. And God the Father, and God the Son makes an appearance. Remember when he snaps Paul by the shorts? As he's you know on the Damascus Road, who shows up there? The show? Yeah, God the Son. Well, but the Holy Spirit is abroad at that point. So the Holy Spirit has sort of got the center stage, but God the Son shows up when he needs to. Okay? Am I saying that so it makes sense? And Yeshua himself said, It's to your advantage that I leave, because until I leave, the Comforter cannot come. Okay, And again, I see that as a, as a matter of degree, not exclusivity. But again, as I say, it's, it, it's the job of these three living creatures to proclaim the holiness of God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. All right, let's move along here. Um, verse 9. I'm in Revelation 4, we're all the way up to verse 9. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who was seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Okay, a couple of things here. This idea of casting their crowns, what does that mean? Is that a, is that a physical, you know, Frisbee the crown toward the throne? Yeah. I'd say it's submission, exactly. Ray has made this point in the past. These thrones are governmental entities. And the example I would use, you would say the Boulder County seat. Well, there isn't an actual chair there with somebody that sits on the chair in Boulder, who is the seat of government in Boulder. The the idea of the county seat, if you will, is simply, okay, the city of Boulder in the courthouse is where county business takes place. So that's the county seat. And I would think of these thrones in much the same way. These are beings who have some sort of dominion and authority, and so their throne then represents their dominion and authority and their crown then represents their authority and what they're saying is I have a crown that you've given to me, God, but my crown is subservient to you. So I don't think that you got 24 guys playing frisbee with their crowns in front of the throne. So where else do we have two sets of twelve that are enumerated in Revelation or identified or labeled? Yeah? Okay. Yes. Twelve foundation the Twelve Apostles. That's correct. In the, in the I don't know the name of the twelve Apostles. Interesting. Um, the answer was you have, in the New Jerusalem, you have twelve gates for the twelve tribes, and you have twelve pillars for the Twelve Apostles. And as Brian just says, and we don't know who the Twelfth Apostle is. So anyway, the, my point is, you have two sets of twelve, or twenty-four, that are specifically identified at the end of the book. Here you have 24 also, and they're not specifically identified, but the identification later on in the book leads one to believe that these 12 represent apostles and 12 tribes, the heads of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Not thus saith anybody except John. Okay. And all I'm doing is drawing inferences. We'll find out more about these 24 uh, when we get on a little bit. The last thing I want to talk about um, in Revelation 4, Worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. There's another triptych. Power is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's power, power source. Something that's shining mm-hmm. has great glory. Okay, I don't use the word in that context anymore. So I understand whatever is shining. Well, all right. So if if in the old English glory is something that shines, yeah, who shines? The Lord. Yeshua shines. Yeshua is described as shining in Revelation one. So if we take glory in the Eng- Old English sense of something that glows or shines or shines forth, radiates, good word, then uh, it would be glory is God the Son, honor then is God the Father, and power is God the Spirit. One of the things that I sort of discovered over the years is anytime you see a set of three things in scripture, you know, this little phrase that's got three things in it, take, stop and take a look because almost always it's describing God and most of the time you can pick it out and it's really pretty clear. Would somebody like closing prayer? Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.